Well, good morning. Welcome to Risen Life. I'm glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning. I'm Kevin, one of the pastors here at Risen Life, and we love to study the Bible, look at God's truth, and we're going at uh, 2 Timothy here for a season. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1, so you can turn there this morning if you would like to follow along. There's a pew Bible in front of you there you could grab if you don't have one with you. Um, So yeah, it's a great day and and great uh, things are happening. Uh, Many of you know Pastor Jared's in Mexico and he's teaching down there this week. Um, Last week he actually taught at Redemption Hill. He said there were 60 to 80 people in our church plant that have been in existence about six weeks. How about that, huh? So we are so excited about that. And talked to Brian Catherman this week. He's doing really well over at Rose Park and the church plant's going well there. So we're just so thankful all the things God is doing with us and and the multiplication of churches around the valley. And so uh, good to be here, good to study God's word here. And so we want to look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning. And uh, I'm going to have you stand as I read God's word, just in honor of his word here this morning. Let's do that. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the surface he rendered at Ephesus. May God add his blessing to his word. You may be seated. So I woke up this morning like obviously all of you did too, and here we are. And I woke up with faith, believing in a God who loved me, right? That, that's a gift, you know. When you wake up with faith, the Bible says that, that faith is a gift. It's been given to us by God to believe. And I was believing, and, and, and as I start to believe in God, immediately I realize, you know, I am on mission for God. I am here to serve Him today. And then the kind of terror hits me that i got to stand up in front of all of you and talk, you know. And I realize this day is going to be a fight. One more time, it's going to be a fight, right? And in fact, this is what uh, Paul says to Timothy in this book over and over again. This is, this is a fight. It's a, it's a good fight to live for him on mission for him. Next week, as Pastor Robert speaks, he'll talk about how we're soldiers and how we're athletes, right? This this whole picture Pastors love this, these books here. They're called pastoral epistles because they, they speak to us about the fight of faith, of a living for him. And this morning, this fight that we're going to look at is called a holy calling. 
It's a holy calling to live for Jesus. It's a holy calling to serve him, to be on mission for him. This fight of faith is a holy calling. So I want to look at this text in just two parts here this morning. First of all, our holy calling in verses 8 to 14, and then at the end here, two practical illustrations of that, of that calling. See, we are called uh, to serve the King, King Jesus, created the universe. And this message um, that we're to share, and by the way, what it means that this holy calling, if you look at this text, it's, that calling is bound up in this message that we are to be about, that we are to receive, that we are to be changed by, that we are to be on mission for, that we are to suffer for it. The holy calling that we have is to, to handle well this message. And in this text, this message is called three things, actually. It's called the gospel. It's called sound words in verse 13. It's called the good deposit in verse 14. And as, as people who have been called to serve Jesus were to be about this, this message of the gospel. And it says in our text this morning that through this message, death has been abolished through the life of Christ in verse 10. That it's, it's a message of Jesus who comes and lives a perfect life, who dies, is buried, is resurrected, and conquers sin and death. And that through this message, we are given life and immortality. A new life that will last forever. We are born spiritually dead, Ephesians 2 tells us. We are spiritually dead, walking people and then we receive the message of the gospel, and it gives us life that will last forever. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22 and 24 says it this way, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. The gospel message, the sound words, the, the deposit that we've been given is a message that brings life to our souls, makes us spiritually alive, and gives us eternal life when we receive it. And in our text this morning, it says it's by grace that we are saved. Not of works, it says, not because of works in verse 9, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus. That it isn't through anything we do, but through personal faith in Christ. And faith is all about looking away from ourselves as having any solution or any capacity to make ourselves right with God. Faith is about looking entirely to God for our hope, for our salvation, for our life. And we rest in him. That's grace, right? And he goes on, he makes even a bigger point of it in this verse where he says that this grace came to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. How about that? Paul and Timothy's call to be preachers and pastors occurred before they were even born. Right? Now, as I preach this morning here in the next half hour, 40 minutes, I bet there will be two, 300 people that drive by here. Right? And none of them are in here. Right? None of them are preaching this morning. Why is that? Right? Is it because I was smarter than them? <laughs> right? I'm a better guy than him, so God picked me? 
No, that's nonsense. I was picked to be here preaching, calling before the foundation of the world, it says. How about that? That's grace, right? <laughs> it's not about me. It's not about me being smart. I'm not smart. You know that. <sighs> Amen. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> God opened my eyes to see, see. And so we are saved by this gospel, not from works, but by grace. And so uh, Paul says to Timothy, now guard this message of salvation that comes to us. Faith in Christ who died and rose again. Guard it, protect it, because it's under attack. It'll always be under attack. And I think we know that, right? We sense in our culture today this message of the gospel is attacked, right? Several ways. Let me just highlight a couple so we're really aware of them. One is our culture tells us, right? That's okay what you believe. Believe it. Fine. If that's what's cool with you, go ahead. But just don't talk about it with us, right? Don't talk about it in the workplace. Don't talk about it in the public square, right? It's offensive. So just be silent. Believe it if you want. Crazy people, believe it, just don't talk to us about it, right? That's an attack on the gospel. Or, right, this word's got lots of errors in it, right? And and, and your job is to figure out kind of what's true and what's not. By the way, most seminaries today teach it that way. Errors, right? And we get to be the wise guy that finds where God was wrong. That ought to be a little, that right there ought to stop you in your tracks, right? That's craziness. It's an attack on the gospel, right? Now we don't know if we can believe it. Or how about this one? Yeah, the gospel has, you know, the Bible has some good things to say. But so do all these other different people with all sorts of other different perspectives and beliefs and they're all equal and they're all good and they all get us to God. Every one of them, just pick your favorite flavor. Right? The Bible tells us that only through Jesus, only through Jesus, do we get into a right place with God the Father. It's an attack on the gospel, right? And... As a pastor, I know this to be true. I know it to be true because I work with people and I work with people and their problems. And I've seen all kinds of things help people get better, right? Secular things, different ideas, different thoughts, lots of, plenty of ways to get people better, right? They're they're out there and they're good. They're good things. I'm thankful for them. But nobody gets well apart from the gospel, Nobody gets healed from their sin and their brokenness and their dead soul apart from the gospel. And it's a travesty when the gospel gets attacked because it is the solution to our heart's needs. And so we must stand for the gospel. It's what's at stake. It's the salvation and the life and the welfare of people. The Bible tells us this message that makes us holy. It's this message that saves us. It's this message that gives us life. It's a doctrine. It's a theology. It's a word from God. It's a truth claim. We're in a culture where people only want to talk about how they feel, right? How about what you think? What's right? 
what's true. Right now, look, I'm a feeling guy. I like feelings. Don't get me wrong, but it's got to start with truth and what we think about. And that's what, that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Guard this deposit. Protect this truth. Verse 13, it's called follow a pattern of sound words. In other words, live a life that is consistent with good teaching. 1 Timothy 6 says it this way. Teach and urge these things, Timothy. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up and conceited. Now look at it. I want you to hear this. There is a teaching that accords with godliness. There is a pattern of life that accords with sound words. 2 Timothy 3.16, we'll be teaching this in a few weeks. Well-known verses says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That Scripture teaches us and grows us up and makes us mature. Sound theology changes our lives. Pastor Robert and I have been teaching the Bible both for 20 and 30 years and probably taught probably out of every book at some point a lot of sermons, a lot of theology, a lot of doctrine, a lot of things that are being said in the Bible, and we have never, ever, ever found a text that wasn't eminently practical and helpful to you and I to be all that God wanted us to be. Ever. All Scripture. <laughs> we got to teach it. It's why I love theology. It's why I love doctrine. It matters. It changes us. It gives us life. It gives us hope. It gets us out of our problems. It gives us victory over sin. And I have seen people messed up by bad theology. I've seen people missing salvation because of bad theology. I've seen people get desperate and hopeless because of bad theology. Can you tell I'm a little passionate about this? <laughs> I, I was reading a book many years ago now that a pastor was writing. And he was talking about how a woman had come into his office and um, she had been praying about a choice she was going to make in her life. <clears throat> and she would prayed about it and prayed about it and then made the decision she thought was best and it went poorly. And so she came to the pastor, and the pastor said, well, here's the problem. God didn't know it would go poorly for you. If he had known, he would have guided you to the truth. This is written, Christian author, Christian book. Now that's nonsense, that's bad theology. Can you, why would you pray? God doesn't know. He didn't know it would go badly. He's just with you. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> now listen, our God knows, and he knows if you'd made the other decision, and all the infinite number of implications if you'd made the other decision, and you make that times every person in this room, every decision you make all week long, right? Yay and B. He knows every possible combination of every decision you ever make and what it would look like if you didn't do it that way. 
That's our God. All right? That's the truth, right? And that gives us hope because now I can pray and ask God, what do you think, right? Because he actually knows. Any theology that tends to make God smaller and us bigger than we really are is bad theology. We're made in the image of God. We're amazing. We are, right? Because God made us. But God is infinite, and we are not. Theology is more than academic. Ultimately, it's about his grace and his love that transforms us. But we've got to think correctly about Jesus' love and his gospel. And when we think correctly, then our emotions follow and we feel correctly. And when we think correctly and then feel correctly, we tend to act correctly. It starts with thinking right about God and his word, and his truth. I love Psalm 119 where it it teaches us uh, the importance of the Bible and truth. And um, there's a whole chapter with an infinite number of verses, it seems like, reading all through this thing. um, But it says, listen, how can a young man keep his way pure? How How do we live in a holy way? By guarding it according to your word. And as a child, we learned this verse, verse, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we want to guard ourselves against unholy living. We want to guard ourselves against rebellion and disobedience because they're harmful to us. And his word instructs us. Unholiness is not cute. It destroys us. It makes us horribly insecure as people. It makes us isolated from others. It gives us fears when we're not working with God. We get deceived. We lack fruitfulness. We lack purpose in our lives. It destroys marriages. It destroys families. It destroys businesses. It destroys governments. Sin is harmful. Sin is our enemy. And the Bible teaches us how to overcome it. So we can live a blessed life. We're reading a, a book, some of the staff right now, called The Mortification of Sin. It's an old book and it's a challenging book. But it says this, helpfully. You either kill sin or be killed by it. <laughs> and it's our theology, applied rightly to life, that gives us the victory. We're people of a book. We're people of a message. This is why Paul says to Timothy, guard the sound words. Keep safe the deposit. Hold on to doctrine according to godliness. Now, as Paul received this message, he was sent out by it to advance it. Because, look it, the gospel sets us free. And truth will set you free, it says in John 8, 32. And Jesus said, whoever the Son sets free, he is free indeed. And so the code, the key that unlocks the doors and swings the prison doors open is the gospel. That's what gets us out. 
Right? You got the code. <laughs> I've been into the prison. I know what it's like. You know, everybody has to kind of punch the right buttons to open the door so that your prisoners can get through and get to you. You can talk to them across the glass. We got the code to open the doors. Share it. Jesus sets people free. We are about a message that sets people free. That's why I, put, when I sit in a coffee shop, usually multiple times a week, and I, I just always take my Bible out and open it up and set it in front of me. Sometimes I'm reading it. Sometimes I just want people to see I'm reading it. I want people to know there's a book out there that we should be reading. Sometimes they'll ask me about it. Right? And, I, and I'm a pastor, so I do this, but you ought to too. I mean, I'm always kind of ready for a little mini sermon to kind of inject it in a conversation. And that'd be much. You guys can all be preachers. It's really fun. I was talking to some people this week, and they were kind of complaining about each other. And I said, you know, we're all made in the image of God, beautifully made by him. Right? That's all I said. No more. That was the length. And then I kind of laughed. You know, I'm a preacher. I give you a sermon every time you see me. But look at, we can all do this. Just little injections of things that make people think, I guarantee you, they were thinking about that some the rest of the day. We're people of a book, and the Holy Spirit takes us and inspires us, and we're to be on alert prayer-filled to apply God's Word carefully, wisely, graciously, as 1 Peter 3.15 says, at just the right time. Okay? This is fun, by the way. It really is. But it's also hard, okay? It's hard. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us in this text this morning. This is not easy sailing for anybody. He goes, I'm about the Word, I'm about teaching it, guarded Timothy. But where was Paul he was, as he was saying this? Where was he? Prison. He was in prison. Right? He's paying a price, right? And, and it, you know, I, I, if you think the prisons here are like not glamorous, <laughs> right? I guarantee you, first century prisons were not glamorous. I doubt they had modern facilities and that someone brought you a nice meal three times a day. Right? Probably stunk, dark, not the most pleasant thing. And Paul sat in a multitude of these. And no doubt, right, he felt alone, right? It says, even in our text this morning, that people abandoned him, they were ashamed. You ever, you ever been around somebody that got into so much trouble, either rightly or wrongly, but it was kind of shameful to be around them. You just said, I just can't really associate with them right now because they're kind of in this bad place and everybody kind of looks down on them, so I don't want to be seen next to them. Ever been in that place? That was Paul. Everybody had deserted him. They were, they, they were ashamed of him. He was in prison. That was a stupid thing to say, Paul. Now you're there. I don't want to be around you, right? Discouraged, doubting, fearful, no doubt struggle with all sorts of things it was hard. Look at so so living this holy calling, friends, is hard. You ever get tired of the fight? You ever get tired of the battle that wages around you as you try to serve Jesus? I, I say this to my wife probably more than she can tolerate, but I, I say to her, you know, I really get tired of this everyday fight. Right? And then she graciously and kindly and rebukingly says, that means you're alive. <laughs> yes, and that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. 
And so that's why Paul calls it a good fight. It's a good fight. I get to live for Christ. I get to live for something bigger than myself. Paul even saw his prison as an opportunity to be a witness, as a chance to write a letter that 2,000 years later, we're reading it. How about that? I bet there's nothing you're going to write today that's going to be read in 2,000 years. And they're reading it, right? Paul took the opportunity. And you and I have the same opportunity, as hard as it is. It is an amazing calling to love people, to love people well, to be a blessing to people. To defeat sin in your life and to struggle and wrestle with it and learn to apply the gospel in a way that gets you free. To encourage people and stand with them and and be a faithful witness of the gospel. You get to be the ones that have the best conversations in the restaurant because you get to talk honestly about the things that really matter. You get to be real and vulnerable and raw and honest like nobody else because you're secure in Jesus. You're already fully accepted. There's nothing that can be shown about you that will really ultimately harm you because you are holy in Christ. And you get to have that conversation with people and they get to see how God has redeemed you from your brokenness, set you free from your stupidity, right? Kevin's stupidity. And we get to talk about it. This is always so noticeable in Nebraska because I was in a small town and I was a pastor, so people know who the pastors are in town. And when they'd see them walk into a restaurant, you could just kind of see them leaning into the conversation, kind of listening, right? Because I had the best restaurant conversation going. Right? Our conversations matter. Every place you go, the words you share matter. They make a difference. They change lives. We live for something worth fighting for. I love this, right? This is one of the complex things about me that I have the hardest time in the world is I am so competitive, right? I just want to destroy things, right? I want to beat people. I want to wipe them out. I want to, right? Hopefully in good ways. I'm a poor winner and I'm a poor loser. I'm both. And... This gives me a fight worth fighting for. It matters. I need to win. It's important to win this one. I don't even know how to say this, but um, I get so concerned for the church as a whole that what we have here sort of is this safe comfortable environment where people come and live in the American lifestyle of comfort and wealth and ease and who can find the best entertainment this weekend, right? That's what we do as Americans, right? Let me tell you something about that. It's boring. It's not satisfying. It doesn't demand anything of us. It's easy. We need a fight to fight, right? We need something worth living for. We need something worth getting bloodied over. 
And that's what Paul is saying to us, that this is worth it. This is a fight. It's not boring. It's not like just getting together a bunch of nice and polite people that sort of sit together and sing sweet songs. We are raw. We are real. We are broken. We are fighting. We lose a lot. We get back up. We fight more. People are saved. Their lives are redeemed. That's what I want. I want a church full of those kind of people. Fighters. Come on. Right? Oh, my gosh. Please, let's be that, right? Not eased, comfortable, relaxed, chilled. That's why I'm in Salt Lake City. But it's hard, and it is a sacrifice. It costs, right? You've, you've been given one little life. And Jesus says, give it to me. Serve me. And he says, if you will give your life away for me, if you will lose your life for me, you'll find it. He says in Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30, he says, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life and the first will be last and the last will be first Jesus said it costs you everything and you win everything in the end a billion years of joy and celebration and rejoicing having laid down your life the Bible says don't store up treasures here right? if you store them up here rust and moth and dirt and things will eat them up. Right? I got a dent in my new car this week. Oh, I hate that. Don't worry about that. Jesus says, just use the car for the kingdom, right? Drive around with dents in it. But if you live for Jesus, you will store up treasure in heaven. And when you live for Jesus, dying is gain. Paul said, because then you step into all that you stored up through your life. My mom and my dad, they died at age 65. And uh, one of cancer, one of a heart attack. I was in my 20s, and uh, they were good, godly Christian parents. Wonderful people to be honored. And this week, well, a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> I started to get a little pain in my abdomen, right, in my gut. And I started to think, well, my dad died of cancer at 65. Not too far from 60. Right? Maybe you're going to die, Kevin. Now, Pastor Robert says to me, would you please rebuke those thoughts? <laughs> Don't tell me about them. Just rebuke them in Jesus' name. <laughs> I love that. I believe I'm going to live for a long time after this, right? But still, right, what am I going to do with those thoughts? Well, here it is. God has numbered my days from beginning to end, and he is good, right? And dying is gain for me, right? I don't want to die tomorrow. I don't want to die today, right? But dying is gain for me. And now I can live in power and in strength 
in the Holy Spirit. All right. That's our holy calling, to live for Jesus, to live for his word, to suffer for the gospel. Now, let me give you two practical illustrations here to close. And they're in verses 15 to 18. And these are really helpful. I love how Paul, when he writes, he writes some pretty heavy theology, and then he comes at us with some really simple little practical examples of how to live our holy calling. One negative, one positive here, um, but really helpful, I think. And I hope you'll grab a hold of these. Uh, Verse 15 says, You are aware, it says, that all who are in Asia turned away from me. So everybody turned away from Paul that was in Asia. It's a lot of people. Among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. I walked through my house this week saying, Phygelus and Hermogenes, Phygelus and Hermogenes. So I'd get this right, right? By the way, don't name your kids this. These are bad guys, right? Phygelus and Hermogenes, were, they turned away from Paul. You don't want them. So, but that's what they did. They turned away. Phygelus and Hermogenes turned away. And so here is an example in a negative sense, but we'll flip it to make it a positive, of what we should be as people who have a holy calling as we interact with others. And this is it. Don't give up on people. When things get hard with people, don't give up on them. Sometimes shameful things happen to them. Sometimes they get in a bad place. They go through a hard season, and what do we do? It's too hard for us. I'm stepping back from that situation. But that's what Paul said. Don't do that. When it gets hard for people, stay with them. My pastor growing up, I'll never forget this. I was in high school and listened to me say this all the time. He goes, never give up on people, Kevin. Never give up on people. And here's why. Because God's the one at work in their life. And he's doing a good work, and what he starts, he will finish. Don't give up on him in a hard season. Stay with him. Right? In your marriage, that spouse you want to give up on, those kids you want to give up on, colleagues, friends, God's doing something. Stay in there with them. That's the picture here. Take the long view. God is at work. Right? Sometimes it's after our death that God does the big work. We've been praying with him for decades, right? Stay with him. Whatever you're struggling with, God's at work. Then there's one last little thing here. and uh, shows up in verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anasiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Here's a guy that often refreshed Paul, it says. And it says in verse 17 that he searched for him to find him, to just be with him. Okay? So here's a guy. Here's what he did. is Living out his holy calling, doing what God was calling him to do. Here's what he did. He just simply found Paul and he refreshed him. That doesn't sound really very complicated or difficult or big. It sounds more like I showed up, put my arm around you, showed some love to you, maybe brought you some books, maybe brought you a warmer coat, maybe brought you some clean water, maybe some good snacks for this day, you know? It shows up with something that refreshed him. That was the living out of his holy calling. 
So it doesn't, doesn't have to be big, it doesn't have to be fancy. Any one of us can do this little thing of just being a blessing in small ways to people. It's really, at the end of the day, that's pretty much all we ever do. But let's do it in multiple ways, multiple times. Who is God bringing across your path today that you just need to refresh through a kind word, encouragement, maybe a note that you write, maybe a text, maybe bringing them a meal in a hard time, maybe giving them a $20 gift card to a restaurant because you know they're struggling financially, maybe sitting down and having a cup of coffee with somebody just for a half hour. Right? What if everybody in this room once a week spent a half hour in a coffee shop with somebody, just bought them a cup of coffee just to be with them? But change the congregation. Right? We can all do this. It's so, so simple. Steve Sala, I don't know if you saw in, in his, on the city this week, he's looking for somebody to take attendance in this service and oversee that. And I didn't see any of you respond. Come on, listen to the sermon. There ought to be 10 volunteers at the end of this. All you got to do is take attendance and make sure the offering gets covered. Steve, where are you? Are you here? There he is. Stand up real quick. Here's who you tell you're willing to do that to. All right? If he doesn't get an answer today, I'm coming back next week preaching again. The same sermon. Exact same thing. <laughs> we walk in here as servants. How can I help? Pastor Robert says, whose arm, whose shoulder do you need to put your arm around? Who do you need to greet? Who needs to be blessed? Ben, come on up. <clears throat> We are called to be on mission. And it's a blessed, holy calling, it says, to serve our King, creator of the universe. It's a hard thing, it's a challenging thing, but it's a good fight. And it's what God is calling us to today. So let's pray. So our Lord, we're, um, we're humbled that you would condescend to us to put into words something about you. No words can hold you, God. You're too big. But we have to have words. We have to have something so we can hear and understand. And you have stooped to give us your word that we might know you. What love. Oh God, don't let us squander what you've given us. Even today, sitting here with ears, God, let us hear and respond. Let us see, behold the beauty of Christ and love him for what he did for us, dying on a cross and rising again to conquer death. Penetrate our hearts with these truths and send us out, God. With the great privilege of fighting this good fight for you, with you, to your glory and our great joy. Thank you that we get to be your people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.